continue to do it and they get their resiliency up and their spiritual needs met. So imagine being part of that casualty collection, the mortuary affairs, seeing this. Imagine as your leadership, your commanders go to notify families and units. And you can imagine what, what kind of struggle each of those people are going through, and, and that's part of what we do uh, in the chaplaincy. And for me, making sure I have my RST partner there also helps me. So for the two weeks that I was there, this was pretty much our big mission. In fact, we had to run 24-hour operations just to make sure anytime anyone, someone needed that help, the chaplains were able to respond. So in addition to the evangelistic ministry that I do as a chaplain, I also do other things too. And at the same time, showing, you know, my, you know, not hiding my light under a bushel, reminding everyone that there's hope. I know we have many different kinds of chaplains in the military, but your support in making sure in your prayers that I am there, you definitely gives that evangelistic Christian gospel chaplain that's able to provide that hope to people. Now, while I was there, everyone was asking, why do we even fly this plane? Uh, for This is our first Air Force Osprey that went down. The Ospreys that typically go down are the marine ones, and we're kind of like, well, you know, the Air Force is a lot better at maintenance and all that stuff, but right now we can't say that anymore, right? One of ours went down too. And everyone always asks me, why do we fly this plane? So thank you for the presentation, guys. Um, and I always have to answer that in the military, we do a lot of things that you probably should be asking why we do it. Now, I will say at a very basic level, we do it because we do it for the country. We do a lot of things for the country, even things that may not make sense. Like I said, with that particular aircraft, the reason why we need it, because when conflict does arise, we need a vehicle that can move like that so we can get troops in and out be able to support, be able to do all those things to make sure we can have mission success, mission complete. If you even think about my check ride in that helicopter, the point of it is so that we can bring a helicopter to either rescue a downed pilot, to either help someone out of a sticky situation. So in other words, that pilot was training for when things go wrong. And we have to train because we have to make sure we do things right because things can always happen and we wanna make sure we're prepared for it. And so we do a lot of things like that to make sure that we can operate properly, which means it's part of the sacrifice that we do in the military to make sure things go well. And sadly, some of those sacrifices do cost people's lives. If you actually look at what happened in Vietnam, we introduced a new rifle, it's called the M16. And the M16 was problematic in the beginning. It was meant to replace a heavier rifle, but it didn't work out as well as it did. And some people probably lost their lives because of a faulty weapon. But through their sacrifice, we were able to keep making it better, making it better to where we now have the tools we need in order to be more successful. But sacrifices had to be made. And I think that's what we need to realize. It's part of the, the passage that I want to read. Sacrifices are done. But I want you guys to also think that sacrifices are made because there is something that is desired on the other side. When you do sacrifice, you're sacrificing for a reason. 
I would like to say that for us in uniform, or us who have been in uniform, sacrifices were made because of a bigger purpose. It may be a good way to kind of explain that is because really in defense of this nation. And sometimes you, we sacrifice for a purpose. Like for me, my, my family sacrificed me going over there, even though, by the way, Japan was very fun, okay? But I did sacrifice time with my family in order to do that mission. There's always something you have to give up so that something on the other side can be made. One interesting quote that I saw, Monty Williams, when he was the coach of the Phoenix Suns, he said, everything you want is on the other side of hard. And what that means is sacrifices need to be made in order to get the thing that you want. Sacrifice is necessary. The problem is when we see sacrifice, we see just the hardship. Right? We see the pain. We see the struggle. And we're like, well, I don't want to be that. I don't want to experience that pain. I don't want to experience that difficult so much. But the problem is we're looking at it from a wrong perspective. If you kind of look at the passage we looked at today, prior to Jesus telling the disciples, I am leaving, the disciples were on a, if you want to say a high, like ministry was going so well, miracles were happening, people were converting, and they were with the Messiah. They were with the King. And they were looking forward to this new nation, the nation that's been promised to Israel. And they've been waiting and waiting, and they're looking forward to it. They're like, wow, this is the best. I'm glad I gave up my work. I'm glad I gave up all these other things. And for some of them, even sacrificed their own family for the sake of Jesus' ministry. Like, look at them. Like, I gave up so much, and here it is. Payday, right? We are going to be here. Jesus is going to rule. I am one of his closest friends. Yippee! Here we go. Rome, say goodbye to Rome. Pack everything up. We're ruling this place. Right? There's like, they were excited. Everything's happening. I mean, think about it. When Jesus said, hey, find a place for us to eat, they were like, yeah, absolutely, Jesus, here we go. They found the upper room. They're here hanging out having a good time talking. And then Jesus says, by the way, I'm leaving. Now imagine the confusion of the disciples. I mean, this is the time where we celebrate Jesus' birth. For them, they've been waiting hundreds of years to finally see the Messiah, and he is here, and they believe Jesus is the Messiah. They've seen his wonderful works. They've seen lives changed. They've seen all these things that took place. And they're looking forward to their new lives with Jesus forever and ever as king. And then Jesus drops this news to them. I am leaving. And the disciples are very confused. So much so that you can see it on their face. If you look at the passage read, just look at verse 1 here. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Have you had that heart before where you just, it just sinks? Have you experienced that before where your heart just feels so heavy? So much so that maybe you even want to tear it out because it just feels so heavy inside you. Imagine, I want you to take the time to imagine the disciples' faces and feelings. That the person that they've been with for three years straight like, I don't know about you. One thing I remember when I was in training, I was there for five and a half, no, six weeks. 
shorter than most people who go to training. You know, we're chaplains. They don't think we need to learn that much, right? Other than knowing how to wear the uniform and rank and march and all that stuff. But for six weeks, I look back to that because in six weeks, I felt like I had new brothers and sisters all of a sudden. There's a closeness that took place. I don't talk to all of them now, but there are some who I'm still very close to. In fact, one of the people I trained with, actually, after the six weeks, we had to do three months total training. When I was in, in Japan, one of the chaplains there was the guy, one of the guys I trained with since the very beginning. And when I saw his name, I was like, whoa, I know that guy. And even though I haven't spoken to him in a long time, the moment we see each other, boom, the closeness came back again. The disciples have been with Jesus for three years, over three years straight. Imagine the kind of closeness that they have. Imagine the kind of bond, the kind of relationships they had with Jesus as they go out. And they went through some struggles, right? If you go through the, the, the stories in the gospel, they had great days. They had some tough days. They almost drowned as far as they're concerned. And then Jesus stopped the storm. They saw 5,000 men fed. They, they saw miracles. Uh, they've been corrected by Jesus, they got to see Jesus, like, really represent the Father. In fact, that's what Jesus is saying here in this passage. Hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They're like, wow. And then all of a sudden, I'm leaving. The closest they've ever had to a friend, a mentor, a teacher, the Messiah, now says they're leaving. And there's confusion. I mean, if someone told you today, I'm leaving you, you'd be very confused. Well, did I do something? Did we mess up? Did, 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 we, did we offend? Did you offend? Like, what's going on here? It is so confusing to them. But Jesus tells them, no, no, no. Let me tell you why. Okay, I am leaving. But don't let your hearts be troubled. There's a purpose, a reason. There's going to be a sacrifice done, but it'll actually be to your benefit. In fact, Jesus says, I am leaving to prepare a place. I'm going to my father's house, and there's room there. All of you. For all of you, there's room. Everyone here will fit, plus more. I'm going there to prepare a place. And the way Jesus actually says this, and if I go to prepare a place for you, obviously, I have to come back and get you. Because what's the point of preparing a place if no one's going to be there? What's the point of having a party if no one's invited? What's the point of having this place where everyone will be with each other forever and ever and ever if I don't come get you to stay here? Jesus is giving hope, but he is also doing it through a sacrifice. And as we will read later on, the sacrifice is him. And after the sacrifice, he will rise again and he will be with the Father. And he will go and prepare this place. And he's telling the disciples, don't let your heart sink too much. Don't be so sad. In fact, I want you to have the opposite feeling. Instead of you being sad, how about you prepare? Prepare for when I come back to get you. 
because I'm going to go to my father's house. There's a lot of room there. I'm going to set everything up so that when I come back and get you, you're going to be here. But I do have to go for a moment. Now, Jesus, in the beginning of this and in the end of this, gives the example he wants the disciples to have. If you look at the previous passage in chapter 13, the last few verses before 14, in preparation for leaving, he says, this is what I need you guys to do. Love one another. Let's actually substitute that word for sacrifice because that's what Jesus is going to do, right? In Jesus' love, he's going to sacrifice himself. So he says, you know what? As I'm about to do this, this is what I want you to do. While I'm away, sacrifice for one another. Demonstrate to one another what that sacrifice looks like. Give up yourself for one another. When someone says, I need this, good. Give yourself up for that person. And then when you say, hey, brother, I need help, that brother should now sacrifice themselves for you. Because this is how they're going to know who I am. If you want to know what Jesus' sacrifice looks like, love one another. And in that way, people will know who He is and who you are through that sacrifice. And now Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. The sacrifice I'm going to do is for your benefit. I am leaving not because I don't like you, I'm leaving not because I hate you. I am leaving not because I want to be with other kinds of people. I am leaving because I'm preparing a place for you. And he even says, right, the question is like, what? Where? How? Like, how do we know these things? And Jesus says, I am the way. You want to know how to get there? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. You want to get to this place that I'm preparing where the Father is? You come through me. I will get you there. And of course, there's this doubt, like, well, how is that? Well, like, how do we know how to get to the Father? Like, the Father, we haven't seen him. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So he's actually telling his disciples, you're already there. This place I'm preparing, you are going to be there because you've come through me. That's what Jesus said, you've come through me. And if you read further on from chapter 14 to chapter 15, Jesus says this. This is how you're going to know. While I'm away, I'm going to leave an advocate. I'm going to leave someone who will represent that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be your advocate. The Holy Spirit will continue to teach you. The Holy Spirit will continue to comfort you. And through the Holy Spirit, you will know not only Jesus, the Father, but even all the teachings. That way, there is no doubt. And what's interesting is the use of the word advocate. So, this is actually a very difficult word to translate into English because it represents so much more. Like we tried to use paraclete. I've even tried to use lawyer, but let's be honest, there's a stigma when it comes to lawyers, okay? 
But actually, a lawyer is a good, exp uh, good word to translate because here's the thing. A lawyer is supposed to stand in front of you regardless of what situation you're in. Supposed to represent you. It's supposed to demonstrate that, nope, person's justified, he's good to go. <gasps> but he's done so many bad things. I know, I know. But because of Jesus Christ, this person is good to go. And I'm here standing in front as a representation. Now, of course, not only that, the lawyer will turn and be like, let me tell you where you went wrong. <laughs> so, right? so I represented you, but let me tell you where you went wrong. This is what you needed to do. This is what the Bible says. This is what God's word says. Change your life. And by the way, I'm going to be part of that change life because that's what the Holy Spirit does. He is the only one who can make a change. I can't do it. I can't change you. You can't change me. But that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. And Jesus says, this is how I'm going to comfort you while I am away. When I'm gone, I'm going to send you the advocate. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to continue to comfort you, to continue to give you that hope. Because let's be honest, when you see someone give a sacrifice, let alone the ultimate sacrifice, it's painful. In the two weeks I was in Japan, I saw a lot of pain. But I also saw people who didn't understand hope. Everyone there was expecting, oh, they're just that good are going to come back. Well, when they didn't come back, I was like, well, what am I going to hope on then? Like, I even had to think about that a little bit because on that day, I was in a helicopter and we could have crashed too. Like, I realized when I was flying in there, there's a lot of like, oh, no, watch out for that. Oh no, 2 o'clock high, 9 o'clock low. There's power lines around here, watch out. And I remember when we were about to land, we had to circle and circle and circle and be like, okay, I think that's clear. And of course, being the first time in the company, you think that's clear? You think that's clear? But of course, I'm just quiet there like, maybe that's why they asked the chaplain to be here, <laughs> right? To make sure it is clear. But... Anything, and by the way, that doesn't just have to be in the military. Every single one of you here, we've been appointed once to die. But the thing is, where you don't lean on that fear so much is because of the hope that you're supposed to have in Jesus Christ. Because I tell you what, the disciples is not only sad because Jesus is leaving, the disciples also sad because what do we do now? For the longest time, we've been protected because Jesus is here. I mean, we saw what happened in that storm. Jesus just goes, wakes up, and tells the storm, stop. And the storm stopped. When we're hungry, we're fed. When we're about to be attacked or go through oppression, Jesus was there. What's going to happen now when he's not here? Who is going to watch over us now? Who's going to train us now? Who's going to teach us now? There's a lot of fear, not just someone, their closest friend leaving them, but there's a lot of fear. What will happen now? For three years, we've been doing so well, but I gave up my job for this. I was a fisherman. I'm not a fisherman anymore. I'm a tax collector. I'm not a tax collector anymore. There's all these different people who gave up so much for Jesus. What now? And Jesus says, don't worry a comforter will come. Which is interesting 
Because when the comforter came, if you read it in Acts, all of a sudden their minds, their eyes, everything was open. I get it now. And even in their death, because the apostles, a lot of them, most of them died. John was the only one who was able to survive his physical persecution. And that's why we have the book of Revelation. But they did not fear death. You know why? Because they knew it became clear to them what Jesus was saying in John 14. The hope that they were waiting for, they finally understand. And even though they ended up not necessarily ruling at the time, not necessarily that they beat the Roman Empire, not necessarily that all of a sudden became part of the kingdom, because they knew the kingdom was coming, they no longer feared. Their hearts were no longer troubled. They knew what they could look forward to. And that's really what we should be doing. For us here who are Christians, as we celebrate this Christmas season, it's more than just the birth of a Savior that we're celebrating. It's also the hope that we look forward to. We look forward to a blessed hope. We look forward to the day that our hearts will never be troubled. We're looking for a day where we don't have to worry about peace. We're looking for a day where we're no longer worried about death because Jesus fulfilled that already. Not only did he die for our sins, he rose again so that one day we may rise just like him and live and be with the Father for all eternity. That is the hope of the Christian. That is the hope we should be holding on to so that even though we are surrounded by death, and by the way, death is very painful. So much so that in John eleven thirty five, 35, even Jesus wept because of the death that he saw. However, don't let your hearts be troubled because one day through Jesus Christ, you will be with him. And by the way, there's not enough, what do you call this? There's going to be a lot of room. You don't have to worry about overcrowding. You don't have to worry about not having enough space. There's going to be so much space. But you know what? I am actually more looking forward to that even with so much space, I desire to be with Jesus and my brothers and sisters in Christ. We might end up having overcrowding because we're going to love being with each other so much. I don't know. I look forward to all those things. But this is the hope that Jesus has. If you don't know or don't have that hope, you can have that hope. Because as we read today, Jesus already says how you can have that hope. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. So I encourage each and every one of you, remember these words of Jesus. Let us pray.